hey everyone, it's a live recording of Hallway Conversations! Welcome to Hallway Conversations. We're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture, and we believe in the value of reflection and collaboration as we seek to keep growing as teachers. This podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to Christian educators. Welcome to the conversation. My name's Matt Beamers. I'm Darren Speaksma. And I'm Dave Mulder. Friends, we're always looking for topics of conversation and feedback, so please email us at hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. That's hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. Your feedback and your ideas are important to us. Two years ago at the Heartline Convention in Iowa, Abby, Dave, and I did our first live recording of Hallway Conversations. Today, we're coming to you from Langley, British Columbia, and the Inspire Ed Conference. <laughs> conference for Christian school teachers in BC and Washington. So you can say for the first time, we've taken the show international. Not only has the location changed, but as you might have heard, we are missing Abby. Abby, we miss you and it's not the same without you, but we'll do our best to continue to make fun of you. And while we miss Abby and promise that we will mock her, we're excited to welcome special guest Darren Speaksman to the conversation. Darren, thanks for being with us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Darren, I'm wondering if you could take a couple of minutes to share a little of the work that you do, as you will be a new voice for many of our listeners. And as we sometimes like to ask ask our guests, guests, tell us a little bit about why you became a teacher and what keeps you in the education field. In other words, why teaching then? Why teaching now or education now? Yeah, great. Thanks, Matt. Um, I'm a first-generation Canadian, um, born and raised traditional territory of the Coast Salish on Vancouver Island. My parents were immigrants from Holland when they were children, um, and I am. I just love the the reality that I married up. Anyone who knows my wife knows that um, they're usually distracted when they meet us because they wonder how in the world did that guy get that woman to say yes to him. I don't know your wife, but I'm I'm sure that's true. <laughs> and then I've got two uh, and then I've got two young adult um, kids who are both in university. One um, in sciences and one getting a degree. Um, in contemporary dance, which I didn't even know was a thing, wow. but um, awesome. that's uh, that's I, and then teaching. Um, embarrassingly, um, my story with teaching really is is kind of twisted in that I went to university not knowing what that held, but I was raised in a family where university really wasn't questioned. This is just what you did when you graduated. My parents yeah, yeah. value education and learning. So they were one of those families who was like, it will work itself out. You go. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you can decide what that motivation is. Um, I'm the youngest of three. and But school was hard for me. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, I don't want to bore you with some of the in-between, but one of the reasons um, why teaching now still yeah. is there are a lot of for various reasons, there are a lot of students who find school tremendously difficult. And I can identify with that. And I'll try not to get emotional. I should have qualified. I'm a crier. So um, I'll try not to get emotional. But there are large swaths of our student population that don't actually have a voice. And that's one of the things that actually um, keeps me in the job now. Um, and I'm excited about that. Um, and then... One of the other just great parts of a job like I have as director of learning for SESBC is 
the opportunity to meet other people. Yeah, and it's right. you never know, you know, how your networks grow, but the power of network and being able to be mm-hmm. part of um, different communities and to invest in different communities is, has been a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. Well, that's, we have two things in common. School is hard for me, and I'm also a crier. I can't even watch reruns <laughs> of Extreme Makeover Home Edition, <laughs> even when I know what's behind the box. Like, I'll still, I'll still cry. So, Beamers. Beamers. <laughs> Friends, my, my time in BC as an educator was winding down just as COVID broke. At that time, Darren, who is an excellent follow on Twitter, and we recommend it if you are on Twitter, mm-hmm. we'll put a link to his account in the show notes, started something that I found, for lack of a better word, quite peculiar. It was called COVID Thought of the Day, or something like that. Darren, I feel like that you um, put a, a thought of the day on Twitter every day, and I think you did that basically for the duration of the pandemic, and that eventually morphed into an edu-thought of the day question. And You often link um, much of the professional learning community um, around North America in, into those quotes. And I'm wondering, and I mean this in the right way, what the heck were you thinking when you started that? And what motivates you to keep going? And and quite honestly, so it's a three-parter, I guess, is how do you come up with so many thoughts, questions, because they are legitimately so good and thought-provoking. So can you share a bit of that story? Yeah, just quickly, I think... Um I'm kind of one of those people who, if someone shares a good idea, I'm like, if it's a good idea, we should do it. And why weren't we doing it yesterday is sort of my posture. Mm -hmm. So I had someone who said, you know, we're into the pandemic and they're like, how are you going to engage? Um, You're on Twitter. You should do a thought of the day for the duration of the pandemic. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I should start that (laughs) up, right? Having no sense of, hey, this is going to be over in six weeks, right? Like, how hard can this be? Um, And then, so it was COVID thought of the day, but Twitter, there's limited... um, Characters, yeah. which is I find limiting when I'm trying, mm. and it's one of the times where people jump on me because you don't have enough space to explain your thoughts, yeah. Yeah. and people read into a tweet what they want to read yeah. in the mood they're in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that started, and then eventually I was like, it was a COVID thought of the day, I think is what I called it initially, and I was like, that's six. If I take COVID out and just do Ed Thought of the Day, I gain a little bit of extra space on Twitter. Because yeah. who's going to decide? And then is the pandemic over? Is the pandemic not? Like, I just was like, we're just going Ed Thought of the Day. And then sometimes I have a list of things I've thought about. But I would say most mornings, part of my, part of my ritual is I get up. If I'm working from home or in the office, I'll work out. And then I'll sit down and go, okay, what's the thought of the day for today? So it literally is um, in the morning, what's on my heart? Um, And and then sometimes what do I need to hear? Like you mentioned Sabbath. Um, Those are really... Yeah. Those are really thoughts for me, yeah. right? A way of holding me accountable. Now, one quick follow-up question. What what would you say has been the hardest and best or most rewarding or whatever word you want to use about, about this in the last couple of years? Um, hardest is um, not everybody responds um, with a gracious heart. Yeah. And you just never know where those are coming. Um, sort of the funniest and the most delightful is there are mornings where I'm like, oh, this was brilliant. <laughs> right? And you throw it up there, and it's like crickets. You, get, you forget about it, you get to the end of the day, and it's like, okay, Dan Beerens, who's faithful, retweeting my thoughts of the day, he's good for a retweet, and then it's like, that's it. And Dan didn't even like it, so what does that say? Right? Like that sort of piece. And then other ones where you just throw up there, and then you check at the end of the day, and there's like an ongoing conversation that I should have been part of that I missed, right? So which is a, which yeah. is a fun part of that. 
Darren, I know Dave, Abby, and I have used some of your thoughts and questions in, as inspiration for the podcast and, and simply for good conversation in our hallway. So I thought maybe we'd start by picking one or two of those thoughts, and then I know we have some questions from the audience, and then we'll sort of see where, we'll see where, where it goes. goes. Yeah. So, so here's, here's one that I found, and, and Dave, I'm going to put this, I'm going to start with you on okay. this one. Okay, I'm ready. Um, Darren says, practices built on fear promote compliance. Can fear and love of learning grow in the same space? So I'll ask that again just to give you 30 seconds. Because this Thanks. does feel like our first couple yeah, of episodes, yeah. right? Because right. I, I, I did not share this question. No. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> great. Practices built on fear promote compliance. Can fear and love of learning grow in the same space? Initial, initial thoughts, notice, wondering. So immediately I'm thinking, I teach our intro to ed course at, at Dort, and this is a topic that comes up almost every semester in that class uh, in this way. Uh, I, pray, I pose the question to the students in that class, can you learn from a teacher you don't like? Can you learn from a teacher you don't like? And it always is a very fruitful conversation because almost everyone has had a teacher they don't like for whatever reason, right? Sometimes, well, they didn't like me, so I didn't like them or whatever, right? Okay. And that's a whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that the way you frame this one, Darren, I really appreciate this because is like fear um, does promote compliance, right? Like if I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me, well, I'll do the thing, right? I, I think that's that's something that, that we need to take into account. Um, but I'm drawn to scripture where it's a lo- perfect love drives out fear, mm-hmm. right? And and if we're serious that we love our students, and I hope we do, like I feel like uh, loving students is like the barrier to entry for this profession. If you don't love kids, this is not for you, right? Like, <laughs> like that's terrible. But if we if we're serious about that, if we love kids, then using fear-based management strategies mm-hmm. and stuff, I think that's problematic, right? And that's not to say I don't want students to comply. I want my students to comply, right? If I ask them to jump through hoops, like, okay, I should have a good reason for them jumping through the hoops and so I can be able to share that. But I guess that's my initial thought on that. Well, and it's do? an interesting one for me because it's one I, I think about regularly because when people read that, they right away thought, you know, anything Darren does is anarchy because you need compliance. Right. And right. he obviously thinks yeah. compliance is bad. And I'm not saying, you know, oh. like I follow speed limits some of the time. That's a compliance <laughs> that keeps us safe, right? Like I think there's, there's a role for that. I think for me, it's more so many of the things we do. Hmm. Um, and call them education or actually compliance. And that's really what I was trying to get at yeah. that. And fear is often tied to compliance. I agree. Yeah. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I guess I'm thinking, like, I'm right away thinking about when I started teaching many, many years ago. Um, I don't think I under, fully understood the power dynamic in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hope, and I, I hope that I never instilled fear con- like intentionally, yeah. although... Maybe, maybe I did in a moment of frustration, right? That, sure. that you just want people to comply. And what's it going to take for you to do what I'm asking? <laughs> yes. Right? And I, and I can remember that. I'm not proud of that. No. But, but I'm sure that I'm sure that I um, capitulated to mm-hmm. that at, at some yeah. point. Um, and, Don't you and think we all... Totally. We all do. And at yeah. some point, like, yeah. I almost feel like that's part of the profession. Um, I do also know that as a middle school administrator, um, it wasn't until this one class was in grade 12 that it came out, Um, but their nickname for me was Dark Lord of the Land. (laughs) So obviously, (laughs) we're getting t-shirts. 
Yeah, so there's a group of boys who I was, basically, they were just pushing, you know, you can imagine eighth grade yeah. boys, right? Like, it's just how many different ways can yeah. we push? Wow. And I was up to the task. So I was like, I was in their class all the yeah. time. I was waiting at the door when they were coming in. Yeah. Like, it was, I was present. And wow. I guess for, wow. for the better part of their high school, oh, you know, I'd be waiting at the bus when yeah. kids are coming off, and they'd yeah. be saying, oh, look. And so it, it actually yeah. went, and that became for yeah, a good funny. many years. Dark well, as a, as a sort of Calvinist, I'll say that you don't choose the nickname. The nickname is you. <laughs> so, um, no, I guess what I'm, what I'm really thinking about, though, is that idea of, like, like I think fear and learning mm-hmm. can coexist. I think, like, I know, like, I've learned... Yes. Because I'm I'm afraid of the consequence. Yeah, I'm sure. afraid of the fallout. Um, I know I know I have. And like I said, all I all I have to do is hey, if you don't have that in by midnight, you're going to get a zero. And I, so I know I've done that. Sure. Yeah. The fear of the zero. And um, but I also feel like a fear and love of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would see that I would, mm-hmm. that feels like a paradox mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I and I think part of it is uh, yeah, we have to be careful. What do we wish for? Yeah. Like, I just want them to get their work done. And there's a reality to that. And, yeah. and that's a bit of my tension, I think, when I look at this. Is, and you have both alluded to this. Is uh, what, When is compliance okay in a classroom? Because there are moments when it's like, no, like you just got to do the work. Right. Like, you, you just got to obey the speed limit. Yeah. Right? So, so this is my, my standing line. Like, I taught middle school for a long time. And like any group of middle schoolers, you're going to have two or three knothead kids who are just, like, it feels like they're out to make your life difficult, right? It doesn't matter. And then you'll have that class where there's nine of them. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't have enough corners, yes. right? Like, I can't yes. spread them out enough. And, and that shifts. Like, the chemistry of yes. the group can shift your, your pedagogy, yeah. I think, right? And yeah. so then I do things that, is this the way I would like to do them? Well, no, but I also got to be able to manage this space yeah. so some people are learning. Yeah. So some people are learning. Ooh, that sounded nasty. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Right? No, you're just being honest. Like, yeah, that's, right? Yes. And and so there are times where I think we do need to, we have an, uh, we hold an office as, as teachers, right? And that office means we have particular responsibilities to ensure that students will learn. And that means we have to manage, I always feel weird talking about classroom management, like what or who am I managing, mm-hmm. then, right? But we, we do have to be able to create the conditions where learning can happen. Yeah. And I think the freedom, too, of that is, like, learning happens in spite of us some of the time, too. Oh, yeah. So it's a bit of a mystery there, and we yeah. do it the best yeah. we can. That's right. Um, but it usually actually goes better than we think. We just don't necessarily well, know. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I, I guess the phrase that comes to mind, well-known phrase that we use, is this idea of, like, maybe it, maybe they can both be true in terms mm-hmm. of um, high support and high accountability. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, is that, yeah, hey, yeah. We're gonna have, this is going to be a high accountable space, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to provide high support for you um, so that, yeah, there's yeah. going to be structure in place, but that doesn't have to be inhibit a, mm-hmm. a love of, of learning. Yeah. So, all right, here's, here, thanks for that, guys. The, the second one, and I'm I'm writing I'm saying this as an English teacher, so if I get these words wrong, you can correct me. But well, you can blame do, it on me because if it's a, one of do, my thoughts, it's one of yours, yeah, right? Exactly. There's a five-syllable word here. So do students four-syllable? Do students get to know the creator better through studying photosynthesis, ecology, math, and if not, might we be missing something as Christian schools? So I'll read it. I'll say it again. Ooh. Do stu- do students get to know the creator better? through studying photosynthesis, ecology, math, and if not, we might be some, missing something as Christian school. Yeah. 
Jeremy, can you just what, give us a bit of a context for this? <laughs> this is a really good question. It. it feels like, I don't want to say an indictment, but it's like, because now as an English teacher, I'm like, I felt really passionate that people should know how to use semicolons. Because like, if you can use semicolons, you're really good. Anybody can use a comma. But a semicolon? There's like, right? I'm a bit of a grammar snob that way, right? But, but I'm reading that. I'm reading that. It's like studying photosynthesis, ecology, math, semicolon, right? Catholic. If not, might we be missing something? So I don't know. Can you well, I intentionally there? didn't put semicolon on the list, first of okay. all. So it's, uh, I guess my, my contention would be like, Photosynthesis is crazy. Yeah. Like it's crazy. If you like, the more you know about photosynthesis, the crazier it is. Yeah. And one of the reasons it's crazy, crazy is because no matter how much you break it down, there's another hole. Yeah. Right. So we we break down an atom into parts. There's another hole. Mm-hmm. And are we showing that the very nature of the Trinity? And the connectedness of the Trinity and this mystery of the whole also is represented in, in creation. And for me, if, if, if we're studying grass or ecosystems or whatever, and at the end of it, we know a bunch of information, but we aren't more excited about the creator, I think... Why are we going to a Christian school, actually? Or why are we sending our kids yeah. to a Christian school? So this resonates with me. I was a middle school science teacher for a, for a lot of years and, and in Christian schools. And one of the things that I always love to point out to my students, we actually read the Belgian Confession, parts of the Belgian Confession in class. Belgian Confession, Article 2, says what are the two ways we know God? Yeah. Right? And we know God first through the creation, yeah. is what the Belgian Confession says. Right? Like first, the people are without excuse about knowing that there is a God because we can see his fingerprints in creation around us. Then, second, more explicitly, he makes himself known to us through his word. And I love that the order in the Belgian Confession yeah, is I love that, that. right? Yes. Like, first we know God through the world around us. And I always took that when I was teaching science, like, yes, this is a responsibility, again, that I have to ensure that students see that, that they see God's fingerprints in the world around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just, it makes me think of, um, Mike Vandenbosch was a professor I had in my undergrad, and I had to take a, a poetry class with him, and I, I did not love po- I did not love poetry. Um, a, he helped me to love poetry, but he, but he taught us this poem, or he exposed this poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins called "God's Grand Grandeur," um, and at the opening line is "The world is charged with the the grandeur of God." And I can remember, like in my mind, and I could be wrong, but in my mind, it was the first poem that that led me or invited me to look at God's creation in a new way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, like there's there's something here that's connected to something out there. And I never saw poetry that way before. Mm-hmm. Right? Like to see photosynthesis as something greater than, right? And and, and that's where I, I when I just remember that poem, it's like, wow, there's more going going on here. And it makes me think like the question of whether it's photosynthesis or ecology or uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, or or even the semicolon mm-hmm. is like, what is the potential of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. What's the potential of learning this mm-hmm. um, as it relates to being a better communicator mm-hmm. and writer, but also in terms of like, hey, how might this draw us nearer to who mm-hmm. God is? Yeah. I know. I love that, and I think that's why expertise is so important. Like people talk to me about, you know, do you want, you know, what do you want in a teacher? And I want expertise because mm. the more you know about something, like the semicolon, for example, Um, even something as simple as that, if you know how to use that well and craft that well, you can 
you can better be an image bearer because you are able to express yourself in new and exciting ways yeah. and maybe reveal more about God in your life yeah. to other people as well through expertise. And there is just something really satisfying about using a semicolon properly. I'll, 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 I'm not going to lie to you. Like, Except the English teacher. Yes, yeah, exactly. I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I've experienced that personally, but I believe you. All right, Dave, I know we're in a city room. We're sitting in a room with about 40 or 50 people, and thanks for being here. And, and you have taken the risk of asking them to send in a number of questions. I'm almost yeah. afraid to look over my... I'm not going to look over my shoulder. <laughs> okay, okay. So Dave, you, we're now turning the power over to you, so to speak. So, oh, is, there a, so is there a question... Is there a question there that, that maybe resonates or allows us to go gently into this? Well, okay. Or not. I, I, oh, this posture is not the gentle... No. Uh, There's so many good questions here, and I'm just going to try to pick a couple of them here. Okay, okay. Let's try this one first. Uh, the job is never done. How do you balance sustainability and good teaching practice? How do you work sustainably without sacrificing good practices? Oh, the job is never done. How do you balance sustainability and good teaching practice? You Where guys you answer this. I'm just going to take notes. Uh, I'm ready to go. <laughs> go this is, yeah, like this. Um, so um, I think the problem is that we're trying to seek balance, actually. And I think the problem is the word balance. Mm. Um, Say I more think, about that. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, we need to see our occupation as an occupation of rhythm. And there are rhythms and seasons in a year that we need to acknowledge. Because not all tired is bad tired. Mm. And I think, like right now, you probably don't want to hear someone say that balance is, is a garbage idea because for many of you, it's like report card writing time. It's like all these things that you're, you're probably feeling it right now, I'm guessing. I'm getting a few nods uh, from the audience. So this is probably not a good time for me to be saying balance is ridiculous, but um, I do think we need to acknowledge the rhythms and we need to adjust our lives to the rhythms. Like for me, my job, my rhythms of my job are a little bit different than um, when I was a teacher. Because by the time I get to December, nobody wants to talk to me unless it's an emergency because they're just trying to get to Christmas break. Mm -hmm. um, but like my wife and I know that from August 15th to the end of November, I am just going. But we know that December is coming. So we adjust how much we socialize. We adjust how much we do. But I used to just... It would drive me crazy if I was... I just can't do balance, but as soon as someone reframed it... My dad was an accountant. Six weeks a year, eight weeks a year, we never saw him. Yeah. That was just part of the rhythm of the family. During that time, did my dad have balance? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, but in July, when you're talking to a plumber and you're talking about... Or a trade that's going hard during the summer months... And you've got six weeks where you don't actually have to think about work unless you want to. Um, that's a rhythm that you get yeah. to celebrate. Yeah. There's very few people that get two weeks off of Christmas. That's a rhythm. There's very few occupations that get two weeks. If Like a lot of our spring breaks are two weeks. And I know you don't disengage from work for the full two weeks, but you probably have seven or eight days in those two weeks where you can just... You know, the hardest decision you have to make today is should I get out of my pajamas or not? Like, I think that that's part of our rhythm. So that's, yeah. yeah. No, I love this this riff on rhythms. I think that makes a lot of sense because when people talk about work-life balance, sometimes that always rubs me the wrong way. As if, like, work is something negative that I need mm -hmm. to offset with, like, the rest of my life or something. But work is really 
important part of my life. Like, I love the work. I get to do this. That's my mm-hmm. catchphrase, yes. right? I always say it, but I do. I get, no one's making me be a teacher. I get to do this. I choose it, and I love it. And is it stressful? Yes. Is it a ton of work? Yes. Absolutely it is. Let's just name that. And yet we do it because we love it, right? We love the kids. We love the curriculum. We love the content. We love what we get to. So uh, the question, I really appreciated that, right? Thinking about sustainability uh, without sacrificing good practice. So I'll just share something specific and tangible that I've started doing for this in my own practice. Uh, I have moved in a direction where I grade fewer things. And, and I think this took me a long time to get to this point because early in my teaching career, I felt like if it's work that I assign to my students, I have to grade. They, they need feedback on every single thing that they turned in. I will agree with that. Students need feedback. If, if it's valuable work that they need, I mean, that you're asking them to do, they do need feedback. But they don't all need individual feedback on every assignment. There are times where it makes more sense to say, I'm going to read through this stack of papers and I'm only going to spend 20 minutes reading through this stack of papers, and then at the end of it, I'm going to give collective feedback to the group. And that is okay. They don't need individual feedback on everything. Now, on some things, they do need individual, specific, actionable feedback. And so then to choose that judiciously, right? Yeah. Do you have a power cord for your laptop? Oh, is it going to sleep on me or something here? I've got a warning in the back. Danger! Right here. That's the wrong one, though. Oh, is it? Does he have an apple? He does. He's got a pass. I know. He thought I would have beat him head. No, that's the problem, right? We probably won't edit this out. No, no. This will be even better. Yeah. Everyone will love this part. Like Dave's scrambling around to grab a power cord. Okay, yes. 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 So now I'm going to indict myself as a principal. I was really good about putting more things on my teacher's plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to add. Mm-hmm. I'm going to add. Mm-hmm. I'm going to add. And Evelyn Bowman, God bless her, a good friend and a, and a mentor, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember finally said, Matt, the plate is about the same size as when I started 30 years ago. It's a little it's a little bigger because your capacity grows yes. with experience. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. I, let's I'll also name that. I'm more, I have more capacity now after 25 years of teaching than I did when I first started. But it's rough, but but it's roughly the same. It's a bit, a bit bigger. And and you're really good at putting <laughs> now we're gonna do TFT. Now we're gonna do student-led conferences. Now or now or now we're gonna and so my wor- yes. so my worry yes. with it is yes. is that in in not talking about balance and talking about rhythm, which I like, it was easy for me to say, yeah, but you get two weeks at Christmas, or you get this, or yeah, right. and instead of disappearing for six weeks, now you're going to disappear for eight weeks or for ten weeks. Because I agree with it. My, I was a principal, and, and my own children knew there was times. Hey, it's parent-teacher conference mm-hmm. season. It's report card season. It's I'm doing my master's season. Like there, but I also feel like they paid a price for that mm-hmm. because well, because yes. my my rhythm. So that's my only well, wonder. And I like full disclosure. Yeah. If we had my wife here. She, like, she would not, you would hear the eye rolls because (laughs) she sees my talk about rhythm as an excuse to 
um, not necessarily yeah. always have a healthy yeah. approach to the tasks that need to be done. Yeah. So, so, my, so that's what I wonder is how do you incorporate, and, and you talk very well about this, yeah. especially on Fridays, yeah. how do you incorporate Sabbath rhythm into this? So we're actually not disappearing for yes. six weeks. We're not yes. disappearing for okay. eight weeks because because that's an un, that's a rhythm, yes. but it's not a healthy yes. rhythm. Well, and for me, I am committed to 24 hours completely and totally unplugged from technology every week. Can you just talk about how you even landed there and what, what was that hard and what's that been like? What um, you experience in that? It was hard. Um, Abraham Heschel's got this great little book on Sabbath that was like ridiculously convicting. And I don't know what the title is, but I can share it with yeah. you and we can put it in the notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but very convicting. Um, but really, um, if you silence your device, yeah. And the only people that are frustrated actually are my extended family who are used to connecting with me and suddenly from, and for me, the 24 hours has to shift. Like some people are like sundown, Saturday to sundown, Sunday. That actually doesn't work for me. I travel a lot on Sundays. So I look at my weekend and I discuss with my family, my Sabbath is from here to here. And my wife and kids are allowed to hold me accountable. Mm -hmm. Like there's a place where this sits in a public area in the house upside down on silent and and that's my way of one modeling for my kids but also an accountability for me I was just listening to a podcast and I can't remember which one so I'm going to have to look it up but it it, it was not this one (laughs) Um, but it was getting at that sense of Sabbath um, too and like there is a Jewish practice of having a Sabbath box Mm -hmm. and so there are things that you put aside for Sabbath and so like physically like put so maybe you need a Sabbath drawer for putting I mean your laptop small enough it'll fit in a drawer right like put, put those things away, like physically put them away. Because um, I find that for myself too. It's really hard, right? That little glowing square mm-hmm. in my pocket and it, it just has a magnetic pull on my yeah. attention unless I am away from it. Yeah, and we intentionally put our offices in the basement. We have the luxury of having oh, yeah. a basement and we intentionally put our offices in the basement because I would disappear. Sure. And then, you know, nothing's going on and suddenly I'm sitting behind my desk in the basement mm. and everything's quiet and my wife or kids are like... No, we lost dad again, right? Yeah. Um, and the sacrifice of family is real. Yeah. And you've got to be sensitive to that in the stage you're yeah. um, as well. I, so. I was finally, my final thing that I'm just noticing there is this idea of the job is never done. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a reminder for me, especially in K-12, and this is for principals, teachers, for, for almost everybody involved in K-12, when are you not thinking about the job? Yeah. Like, there's the work, well, yeah. and then there's the waking up at 3.30 yes. in the yes. morning. There's the you're out yes. with your friends yes. and wondering, is this a formative assessment I could use? <laughs> well, but, no, like, like, no, yes. like, if we're going to count yes. hours of work, oh. like, and, that's, and I think that's the part of teaching that is so exhausting because, mm. you're, because you're just hardly not thinking about it. Well, if anyone's figured that out, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> right. if I'm fly fishing, yeah. I'm not thinking about work. Yeah, there are certain things that I have that I can just yeah. Yeah. immerse myself in, and that's a gift. Yeah. Um, but if someone's figured out just in the everyday yeah. how to manage that, please yeah. let me know because I would love that. Yeah. 
Uh, thanks, David. All right, we'll all right. move on yeah. here. No, this is this is really good. I, there are so many good questions here, and we're not going to be able to answer all of them, you guys. So, so if you are enjoying this, so like I'll save these, and maybe once we're back in Iowa, we'll have like another question and answer from listeners sometime. Um, let's try this one. Best advice when dealing with apathetic students or students who aren't motivated to learn. Thank you, Kayla, for that question. Best advice when dealing with apathetic students or students who aren't motivated to learn? Yeah, so as soon as, as, soon as I read that question, I, I think about my high school experience. I, that was me. Like, I, I've been pretty open um, with my own students in my undergrad, history and philosophy education class, and getting more comfortable with sharing just my story of, of not loving school. Like, I have very few memories of not loving school. And it's not because my teacher, it just I just didn't love it. It was just really hard for me. And a lot of that were choices I made. Um, and I was apathetic. And I, and I went through most of high school just thinking, like, I, I just can't wait to be done. I just want to be done. There is so much irony that I'm an education professor. Like, and I think it's helped me be a better professor and a better teacher. And, sure. Um, but I can tell you, like, for me, I'll just say, I'll use I language here. When I think about somebody, and I've mentioned Ed Boland's name before, um, I'm, I'm an English major, so math was the lie. I got kicked out of math 10 in grade 10. I had to do it in grade 11 with all these math. Like, I just didn't like it. And there was this new teacher, Ed Boland's. And one of the first things I remember about, well, I remember two things, is that on the first day, he made me sit at the front desk, right in front, in front of him, um, for good reason, <laughs> I needed to sit there. And he kept me there all year, even though everybody else was allowed to, allowed to move around. And I loved, be, after the first, I loved being there. Because all of a sudden, this guy was asking me questions about hockey, mm -hmm. and he was asking me questions about my family, and he was sort of, in, I was like, wow, this, like this guy, I'm actually building relationship with him. It was like one, and I'm sure he's not the only one, but it's such a, it's such a strong memory for me that he wanted to know who I was. And in wanting to know who I was, whether he did it intentionally or not, magically, I was like, oh, I... I kind of want to. I kind of want to work for him. I kind of want to learn math. This is. I want. I want to honor our relationship because he's honored me by by getting by getting to know me. He held me accountable. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it, like it was just a subtle and slow. Like he really took the long view with me. Mm -hmm. I am. I am just gonna build relationship with this guy. Yeah. And I'm just and. It, and, it, and at some point, I was like, man, I love Mr. Bowens. I love math. I, I dedicated my, he's one of the people I dedicated my dissertation for my doctorate to, yeah. was Ed Bowens. Awesome. And I was that kid. So I, so I don't know if there's a best advice, but, but I know from my experience, it was just kids want to be known. Like, yeah. they want to be known. And that doesn't mean they're going to be mode. But for me, it was like, wow, you want to know me? Mm -hmm. And that, I, that just gave tons of runway for me in wanting to learn math and, and just wanting to be in a relationship with this guy. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking, too. Um, part of me wants to say, and you don't always have the energy for it, but part of me wants to see apathy as challenge accepted. <laughs> um, like it's Let's that go! Idea. Yes. Um, <laughs> You know, and you know, the caveat being, I you know, I spent most of my career teaching grade five to grade eight. So really, you know, nobody cares what happens in grade five to grade eight as long as they want to be at school and they assume they're learning something. Yeah. Like most of the parents, like if their eighth grader was happy to come to school, the parents are like, 
we don't care what you're doing, yeah. but our eighth grader is getting up by themselves yeah. and wants to come to school even when they're sick. We actually, yeah, yeah. thank you, and right, and it's a win. So there's some freedom in middle school um, with that, but I think I've used relationship, and that doesn't mean it always works, right? No. Like, yeah, yeah. there are all kinds of reasons beyond us as teachers that a child is like that, and we can't internalize that. We can go challenge accepted, and we can connect, you know, and that's my advice to relationship. How well do you know them? Mm. Um, what makes them tick? Because um, they're not apathetic in all areas of their life, yeah. most likely. Um, that, that's one I would pick up on too, right? So, like, I used to... Uh, I struggle with that, right? Should should kids ever feel bored in school? There's a part of me that says, well, no, right? Because I think, like, learning is the opposite of boredom. But I think there is such a thing as productive yeah, totally. boredom, mm-hmm. too. And yeah. so I guess I'm, I'm reframing this a little bit, because apath- apathy and boredom are not necessarily the same thing, but if you're bored, you can become apathetic, I mm-hmm. think, right? So mm-hmm. kind of, like, how do you direct mm-hmm. it to make it more productive? Um, and so this is where I always want to be a little cautious, right? Because Matt and I have had this conversation before. Like, he's, if you watch me teach, I'm very high energy. It's like no one is ever, like, falling asleep in my class, right? But, like, I've had a student say that. Like, if you have to have an 8 o'clock class, you better have it with Mulder. And I take that as, like, the best badge of honor I could ever hear from a student. Right? Like, hey, right? But there is something about that. Not saying that we need to, like, be edutainers up here, you know, putting on our little song and dance. But there is something to that, right? And yes, that takes energy. Yes, it mm-hmm. does. That takes some planning ahead. Yes, it does, right? But I stole this one from Dave Burgess, who's the Teach Like a Pirate guy, if you ever read Teach Like oh, a Pirate, yeah. right? Um, but he, he has this whole idea about um, instead of planning lessons, what if you would think about it in terms of creating experiences for learning? And, and that sounds like a dumb shift. Like, as I say that out loud, it sounds dumb. But if you, like, flip your mindset a little bit, I'm not planning lessons, I'm creating experiences mm-hmm. for learning. Because students are going to forget the details of the lessons, but they will remember the things they experience, right? And, and so, like, dealing with apathetic students, if the curriculum is meaningful and relevant, and it's happening in the context of a caring relationship, I think those are those kinds of experiences that they're going to remember. I think. It also makes me wonder, and I think we've talked about this before recently, but if the staff at your school put all the pictures of your students up on the wall and everybody got stickers to say, which ones do you know well? Mm -hmm. Would there be students there that didn't have any stickers? And would there be a correlation between them not being known and them being apathetic? Like That's my wonder. That's my my wonder. But, But now I'm thinking about this as a former principal. What if as a leadership team you put all the pictures of the teachers up on a wall and you put stickers next to the ones that you have a deep relationship with? Would there be teachers there that wouldn't get a sticker? And there would be would there be a correlation yes. between between teachers who are struggling for whatever reason and them not being known by someone on the leadership team? Like I just I wonder. Mm-hmm. I wonder. Because because there it can it can be really easy for me as a principal. Mm-hmm. Well, this teacher's on board. Yeah. This teacher's on board. Yeah. This teacher's oh like oh look I have I have a pretty good relationship. I, I can always go to this teacher mm-hmm. and ask. Yeah. It's like oh I don't really know this teacher. I even know if I look back now I knew where where I what I would identify as safe spaces in the staff room for me. I can sit by these people. Mm-hmm. You don't think other people are noticing who you're sitting by and. What's the trickle down of that? So we can have a whole conversation yes, about yes, that. for sure. But, but I do wonder. wonder yeah. I do wonder about that. Right. I think we have time for one more okay. question. We should I tackle one more. Okay. Um, 
not that one. No. Oh, uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh, oh, that's okay. We're gonna do this one. We're gonna do this one. Uh, I like. I just like this question. Delighted me. Okay. Uh, how do you help the Indiana Jones teacher? You picture wow. Indiana Jones. How do you help the Indiana Jones teacher who sees themselves as the hero whom everyone uh, loves and roots for, yes. but whose actions are not always tied to deep student flourishing? Wow. Wow. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Get my whip out. I'm ready. How do you help the Indiana Jones teacher? I, I'm afraid because I think I am the Indiana Jones teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll be honest. When I read that, I right away had this insecurity. Yeah. Like, what? Is, like, is that me? Is I think that, it's me. Is that me? Um, so, yeah, that's a good wrestling for me, actually, right? right? Is to actually, that's like, to not be afraid to, to self-reflect on that. Um, how do you help them? I, I don't have a specific answer. I don't have a specific answer to that, because I'm trying to, yeah, I just want to be careful and just even labeling teachers as, as one way, but... I just wonder about what is like this idea of, of kind, specific, helpful mm-hmm. feedback look like for for any for any teacher. Mm-hmm. I think about that. I worked. Dave Lowen was the superintendent at the school that I used to be the principal at, and I love Dave. Dave, he's one of the strongest leaders I've ever worked for. And I I like I always yeah I really wanted feedback from him because. Because I wanted, because who doesn't want to be better, right? If you don't want feedback, it's like if you don't love kids, if you don't want feedback as a teacher, then, then maybe teaching's also not, not for you, yeah, right? Because, like, do you want to be a better teacher or not? And I just think one of the things I always appreciated about Dave is that he was always forthright, he was always direct. He often asked, gave his feedback in the form of the question, oh, yeah. like, like, Matt, the answer's inside of you. I'm going to help bring that out of you instead of sure. so instead of instead of to you I'm going to do this with you mm-hmm. and so part of it for me is for whatever teacher how do we how do we create a culture that promotes self reflection um, and that allows those conversations and builds trust so that you can have hard conversations because because simply to be hey like this is how I see you this is what needs to change. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really work with students. Yeah. Yep. I'm not really sure that, like, again, compliance mm-hmm. or learning. Right. So that's a great distinction there, too, and for, for us to think about that for teachers. I, I, I'm joking around when I say I think that's me, but I, I know this as I as I look at this. Right. There are a lot of times that I want to be the Lone Ranger, the Indiana Jones type. I'm going to be this lone hero out there doing it, and and to humble myself to know like I'm better as part of a team. Mm-hmm. I don't always like to hear that, mm-hmm. right? Because I want to be able to think somehow I'm so great in, in all this. But like, no, I'm better. I'm better as part of the team. And to know that, like, none of us have all the gifts that are needed to serve every student. None of us have all the gifts, right? And so just to kind of keep that reminder, and how do you help someone else see that? I guess I like to think I'm self-reflective enough to know that about myself, even in my dark moments when I think somehow I'm pretty great. Right? Yeah, and I think for me, too, um, the learning piece is where I went right away. Um, as a school, do we have a clear articulation of what learning is? Yeah, yeah. Um, the hero is another word that I catch that mm-hmm. intrigues me, because um, often we want to say um, the student's the hero in the story, mm-hmm. which I think actually might point us in the wrong direction as Christian schools, mm-hmm. though there are reasons why I resonate with that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, right. but I do. Yes, I agree. Both collaborate. But right away, I was like, if we have a clear articulation about what learning looks like, and I didn't realize it, but I one of the reasons I think I can do the Ed Thought of the Day is when I left Nanaimo Christian School. I got a plaque of the speaksmisms, the things that I always said. And a bunch of them, I was like, there's no way I said that all the time. And the rest of the staff was like, oh, you say that all the time. And um, there's a few of them that were not that flattering. Like I used to always say, everyone's replaceable. And my, my thought, Abby, Abby, take note. Abby, take note. My thought was, like, don't take yourself so seriously. Like, do the best job you can, but it's actually not all on you. That's what my thought was and my sentiment was behind. But apparently, as a principal, when you say that, your staff is not that excited to hear that. But we're not going to get that on a T-shirt. Yes, correct. (laughs) But the the other piece was, um, was comments about learning. And once we know a better way, we're morally compelled to act. Hmm. So we would have conversations about learning as a staff. And once we've decided that actually is better than what we're doing already, it's like, what are the steps to move forward on that? But only in collaboration. Like, no one was left on their own. Everything we did was Hmm. co-planned, co-implemented. And that's what allowed us to to roll with with that. Yeah, I think I struggle with this, too. Yeah, like, it can... I'm all about collective leadership, mm-hmm. collaboration. That that was your thought of the day, and yet I, I have like I have a big ego. I know that about myself, mm-hmm. and and too often, too often, I I think I can I can do it better or more efficiently mm-hmm. than if we do it together. But but who wins there? Like what's what's the benefit? And I can remember coming home with that mindset being bitterly disappointed, upset, literally in tears, literally in tears. I could come home, and, and I, my wife is so gracious, and if you know her, she, like, you think you married up, buddy. Like, <laughs> but I can remember her one time, though, sort of being frustrated yeah. with that, too, and fi- in a gently but very direct way, which Bev can be, saying, finally just saying, like, who do you think you are? <laughs> like, who do you think you are that you are responsible for this whole school? That you're responsible, like, yeah, you're, there's a level of responsibility, but mm-hmm. who do you think you are mm-hmm. that this all, that they, that, mm-hmm. that everyone's replaceable. Yes. <laughs> everyone's replaceable. And that's, and that's a good, mm-hmm. it's a good reminder for me. Friends, we know that your time is valuable. and want to thank you for joining us today for another hallway conversation. And whether it is this day, this week, this month, for the rest of this school year, we hope the Lord gives you what you stand in need of to end well. And we'd like to send you from here with this blessing. So to our, to our listeners, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thanks. thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks for joining us in the hallway. This podcast was literally dreamed up during one of our actual Hallway Conversations. Our music is by Ethan Mulder. Hallway Conversations is created and produced by Matt Beamers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. Hey, we have a favor to ask of you. Would you be willing to rate this podcast or write a review in your podcast app? Or if you found this conversation interesting or helpful, would you consider sharing it on your social media? Those things really do help podcasters out, and we would be so, so grateful. Thanks for listening, friends. Okay.
okay, so here's the thing. I say we always have to have some kind of a tag or like a, an intro, and I forgot to do that at the beginning. And so this is going to be weird, but can you guys do this with me for a second? So I'm just going to say something like, hey, everyone, welcome to a live recording of Hallway Conversations. If you just do like a woo-woo uh, something. So if you don't want to, you don't have to. Okay. And then like if you come and listen to the show, then you'll hear it be like, oh, that was me.